Welcome to our new podcast, In the Hunt, powered by GameForge. Welcome to this episode of In the Hunt. This is Brian Bailey here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and joined as always with Mark Sweeney. Mark, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, it's been doing tons of data work lately. Awesome. It's been yeah. raining. Been raining every single afternoon here in Florida. That the rains have started. The afternoon thunder boomers. Well, here in the Mid Atlantic, it's been unbelievably gorgeous. It's been like mid eighties, sunny, no rain. It's been phenomenal. Nice. Actually, I, I played golf a couple of days ago. I haven't done that in a while. What? Yeah, my back was killing me by the end of it, but I actually played. <laughs> and, Did you uh, walk? It was great fun. No, I didn't walk. I actually, <laughs> I actually wish. I kind of wish I'd walked. I had a caddy. It's nice having. Oh. Great when you have a caddy and you can walk and have the caddy carry your bags. That's actually really nice. That is nice. I I would have walked just to do it. (laughs) I'd had the caddy carry me. Exactly. (laughs) Put your arms out, buddy. I'm jumping in. You could get like four caddies and get a little chair and put them on their shoulders and carry you around. (laughs) Feed me grapes as I'm going to the Like a princess. (laughs) Actually feeding me chicken wings. That's much more impressive than grapes. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, I want to apologize to all the listeners. I know we've been off for a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I went on vacation for about 10 days and uh, enjoyed my life. Um, and then I, I know with me and, and homeschooling with COVID craziness, uh, my kids were in exams and the internet was locked down for about another week and a half. So really a lot of that was driven on the sheer fact that I dropped the ball. So I'll take full responsibility. Mark asked about podcasts and I just kept pushing it off because I was like, I'm sitting at the beach. Screw off, buddy. So, uh, you know, I'll get you back on that at one point when I finally take my fishing trip. I'm going to yeah, do the same right. thing. <laughs> well, we I did at Virginia Beach. I did do a nice little fishing trip. We caught probably about 40 pounds of spade fish, a bunch of Spanish mackerels. We had a great time. We had a great time. Yeah, I'll do mine. It'll probably be you no know, October before I get to do my fishing trip. But you won't be hearing from me that week. Oh, wait. Um, we catched and released because we don't want to get canceled by anybody. So we caught and released all the Yes. Things. We told them little stories before we put them back. So in you the just water. catch them and torture them and then let them go. They were really polite. Exactly. You let them, you let the way them to go. The boat and they were completely stressed with, out and they were like, hey, go back out. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing fish only remember things for about three seconds. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> so uh, sounds, sounds like a lot of my uh, junior players no. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like me actually <laughs> that's right so uh so today we're going to do just kind of a recap on the u.s open kind of what that looks like and kind of segue into how the u.s open makes the best players in the world at times look not great but really the design of the u.s open and how that really changes how they play and give you a good understanding of what it takes to win at the u.s open so uh john rom of course the winner um Louis uh, won the Grand Slam title for second place finishes, uh, which I feel bad mm-hmm. for. I was rooting for Louis the whole time. I thought he was going to do it, uh, but John Rahm played great. So, Mark, let's jump in here and take a quick look at what the winner looks like and kind of what this, how that differs from a normal tour event. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I looked at um, this year's U.S. Open, last year's U.S. Open, and what I found when I looked at the stats, first of all, the stats were not what I was expecting to see. Um but the winner, the person who win won both the last couple of years, Bryson and John, um, they didn't really do it the way that I expected or the way the media talks about it, you know? So it's, it's interesting to actually look at the hard data and say, okay, what do they actually do different than the field? Like, where do they actually win? And, you know, if, if you asked somebody, so Brian, if I asked you, you know, what do you think you have to do to win a U.S. Open? Kind of what would your 
what would your standard gut feel be on that? Or, or just in general, what would people say, do you think? Make a lot of pars and take advantage of birdies when you get them. Yeah, make a lot of pars for sure. What about what about fairways, greens? Uh, by I mean, watching obviously, the rough TV. is through the roof. The rough at Torrey Pines was like yeah. insanely deep. By, by watching the opens on TV, you don't see tons of fairways. And greens are definitely – they feel less. And when they hit the greens, it feels like they're not in – a lot of optimal places to score. So it seems like they're really long distances away from the hole. Yeah. Yeah. Longer. Definitely in Torrey Pines. You definitely saw that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, when I was doing, when I, if I had to do stats to kind of predict a winner, you know, first, my first gut feels, okay, somebody hits it fairly long, but relatively straight. So if you're long and sideways, you can get into big trouble, um, as we saw <laughs> as we saw a few, a few people do in the last couple of years. But if you're sideways enough, you get in the, the you know the the trample down part, and it actually saves you to be really sideways versus just a little bit off. Which I don't I don't know if I really like that. Actually, I was I'd be thinking if you're hitting at 30 yards right, you shouldn't get a nice clean lie, you know, on the trample down part of the grass. But it is what it is. Um, yeah, so we looked at it. So, you know, last year, for example, Bryson, Bryson won from short game proximity, greenside wedge proximity. He didn't out ball strike the field and he didn't out putt the field. You know, he put it better than the field, but not insanely, but his, but his greenside proximity with the wedges was, was much better. Um, and then I looked at John Rahm this year and it was kind of the same thing. Like his ball striking is marginally better. They tend to hit kind of like one more green, one and a half more greens around. They hit, hit about the same fairways. Their fairways really aren't any any better than the field. Um, but their putting, but his putting was about 50% better than the field, his in-position putting. Um, and his P6, his short game proximity, uh, double what the field was. So, you know, you go back to talking about what do you have to do? You have to make par from difficult, difficult situations. It seems like, you know, the real key is, is that P six um, short game proximity and then, and then putt better than average. Yeah. And I think what's fascinating and kind of looking at this kind of off of the putting side is the blackjack putting typically on tour is in the seventies. And I noticed when, when I was going through like Louis stats that he was down and I was like, well, you know, you know, basically he had four in positions for the tournament or four blackjacks and he made half. I'm like, well, that's down. But even here looking at John Rahm's scores, he only converted at 63%. So the blackjacks, even when the players had the blackjack, that their short eight foot and in putting actually looks to be relatively down a little bit. So is that average? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's a interesting. And maybe that Tory's greens were just, I know Tory's greens always flummox a lot of players in the regular season. So that, that actually continued um, that the short putts were down. Um, so again, it goes back to, you know, a lot of players were almost more beneficial putting a higher percentage between nine and 20 feet, having a larger mass and converting better there than actually converting their blackjacks, which is to me again, which is fascinating. What we usually see is blackjacks on tour to win, getting in the 90s to 100 percentile range, you know, yep. to win in the 60s is like a good college player. You know, that's that's kind of the good college player average. So I think it's fascinating that that Tory slowed them down on short putts for birdie. Yeah, I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to pull up John Rom's stats here. We're going to have a look at it online here. Um, 
a lot of people would say, well, you know, blackjack conversions are down because it's POA and it's bumpy and blah, blah, blah. And they're playing in the afternoon, but his IP conversions and his EG conversions. So all John's putting outside nine feet was really good. You know, he was almost 40% from nine to 20 feet and 14% from 20 feet plus. So he made a bunch of bombs, which again, we saw that in the final round. Um, but his blackjacks were not particularly good. Um, what really strikes me the most when I look at this, this GFI chart is that his greens were, you know, 12, 12.25. So not, not horrible, but down a little bit from normal, but his in positions are down at 5.25. So he only had five in positions around to win. Um, that's unheard of for a normal tour event, normal tour event. You'd have to be up at eight or nine to win. He was at five, yeah. um, but he converted at 40%. So that's where he got his, you know, almost three and a half birdies there. Um, but, but that goes back to what you're saying. You know, they might, even if they're in the fairway, their in positions are significantly lower than, uh, than a regular PGA Tour event. And so they're just not going to be generating the birdies. Yeah. And I, I think it's really the design of that's the way they set the course up, right? They, they make, you know, you're losing probably one to two fairways, you know, on average per player. So the ability to hit, hit the ball inside of 20 feet becomes exponentially harder. Mark's talked about this in the past. That, you know, hitting from 110 yards out of the rough equals, you know, 180-ish out of the fairway. So by missing fairways and the beauty of the length, they're not hitting 100-yard shots out of the – well, one guy is, but majority of the field is not hitting 100-yard shots out of the rough. You know, they're hit, playing it back. So so that's taken away that imposition. And I think, again, just the difficulty of Tory and the small greens and, and the way it's designed, I think, was the perfect recipe, recipe to take away – player's ability to make offense and it all you know so the U.S. Open again comes back to how good is my defense how well can I prevent big numbers how you know how well can I prevent doubles and and big numbers and you can see John Rahm did a pretty good job he had one double so he averaged what 0.25 double so he had had one double for the tournament um so so again that that concept of is he was able to avoid the big number and his proximity of chip gave him the ability to save save par and then he just did his job, you know, he, again, uh, 80% conversion rate for P6 is not world-class, but his proximities were so close and so often that it was okay. It was good enough. Again, again, it goes back to the short putts. It's fascinating. The short putts were harder than the long putts um, yeah. from, from his numbers. So, you know, the USGA did it again, man. Well, what really strikes me from this graph also is that his P12 and P6 are off the charts. You know, his P12, so he's 83% P12, which means every time he missed the green, 83% of the time he was within 12 feet for his par save and 61% of the time he's within six feet. So really, really good greenside wedges there, um, even if he just converted average, which he did. He just kind of did average conversions, mm -hmm. but he was his proximity was so good there. Um, that it, it, you know, kept his bogeys down to less than two per round. Um, but also notice his three putts. He only had two three putts the whole time and he made two bombs. So his three putts and bombs canceled each other. Yep. So his long putting, uh, was a wash and he putted really well, basically nine feet and out. Yeah. And that's where he made his birdies. So, and again, if you look at his bip rate, he's up around 71%. So that's kind of a, you know, a combination understanding of, of his performance. So, uh, like I said, he did his job. Um, um, you know, to make birdie between nine and 20 feet, which is phenomenal. Yeah. So let's look at dispersions. Um, interestingly enough, his approach dispersions 
inside 100 yards. Well, I didn't have a whole lot of shots inside 100 yards. It, you know, so, so the graph we're looking at here, you can see that 100 yards plus, he had very, very good dispersion. So I hit a very, very close, averaging kind of 5%-ish out there. Inside 100 yards, um, the, this chart jumps up and down like this because you're either hitting the green or missing the green. If you hit the green, it's going to be less than – you know, less than seven or eight or percent. But if you miss the green, it's going to jump up to 30 or 40 percent because the misses tend to be big misses. And that's what we see here, Brian. We see, you know, hit the green, miss the green, hit the green, miss the green, hit the green, miss the green. <laughs> yeah. No, um, right. So it kind of jumps all over the place. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of that too is the, the, those dispersions are really hitting shots out of probably rough conditions, bunker conditions. And again, I think that that fluctuation is. You know, something that you normally don't see on tour as much, it usually calms down. So, again, I think just the conditions inside of 100 yards and that rough really yeah. contributed to that. Well, also notice that his uh, shot density, he's got a lot more. Well, first of all, that's a big spread of shots. It's, it's not the nice little kind of double humped curve we see. Um, he's got a big spread outside 130 kind of all over the place, which we don't normally see and very few inside 40 yards which means you couldn't really take take advantage of the par fives the way you normally would. Um, but really, he had to hit shots from all different distances, and, and that's probably a function, of, I, I suppose, of the course setup, where they're forcing you to hit everything from 130 to 240, you know, kind of almost an, a roughly equal number of shots from all those different distances. Yeah, def definitely uh, not the traditional curve that we see for most tournaments. So, again, Ooh. that's that's how the majors always, again, they kind of separate themselves. They – they really, especially the U.S. Open, they really force you to play a bunch of shots you don't see week in, week out. So we're going to flip over and look at Ostheisen. Um, very, very similar. Obviously, let's see, his BIP was at 62%. He only had 5.25 in positions. I basically had exactly the same in positions that um, John Rahm did. Mm -hmm. Converted. Uh, about the same, his short conversions, blackjack conversions were 50% really low, but he was 41% IP conversions and 24% EG. So his, his mid range to long range putting was spectacular. Um, and his P six and P 12 are up almost as good as John's 81% P 12 is almost 60% P six. Um, so obviously they end up with very, very similar results. Um, but let's see, he had no, Us has had no three putts. Wow. That's impressive for, for the U.S. Open. So when you think of Louie, what do you normally think of as far as his strength goes? Well, on the television set, <laughs> they talk about how great, of a ball, how great his golf swing is and how great of a ball striker he is and what a bad putter he is. Is all I heard for – I was rooting for Louie the whole time, to, you know, so I'm not jaded here. Uh, but that is what I heard from the commentators. Um, that, that PA guy, I can't remember his name, but that's his initial, was all over – Louie and his ability not to get the ball to the hole on the putting green is what I heard for two and a half days. Um, yeah. What do the stats say? He put it spectacular. And, and the interesting thing about Louie, which I didn't realize at all, if you look at, if you look at his data for, let's go look at all of 21. Um, if you look at all of 21, his putting is, whoops, I messed that up. 21 January one to today his putting is off the charts good especially inside 15 feet i mean off the freaking charts and i had no idea what a good putter he was um until i'm looking at his data it's like wow he puts his 
well as anybody I've seen on tour as far as this, these charts go. So his, his, his make percentages are off the charts. His putting proximity is basically a perfect graph. Um, his short leaves are basically a perfect graph. Um, and he's all year he's had five, six, nine, three putts out of 33 rounds. Actually, go back to his short putt, short leaves. That, that graph completely blows up PA's analysis yeah. of, of Louie never getting into the hole. <laughs> yeah, and his short leaves for y'all, you know, for, for you all who are not uh, familiar with the short leaves, you know, there's an optimal number of optimal percentage of putts you want to leave short from different ranges. So, it, you know, 10 feet in, it's like 1%. You know, you really don't want to leave anything short inside 10 feet. But that number, that short leaves percentage grows as the putt gets longer and longer because as you get outside 20, 30 feet, um, it's more about proximity. And if everything's past the hole, then the putts that are long, you know, if everything's long, then, then the long longs are really long. Then you're missing six, seven, eight feet long. And so you really want more of kind of a weighted average 50, 50 long short by the time you get out to 40, 50 feet plus. Um, and so there's an optimal curve there, like everything else we look at. Um, and Louis data basically exactly matches the optimal curve. It's the only person I think I've seen that is that close to optimal. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think we're gonna have to create a new, uh, an acronym for, uh, the commentators on, on, on golf or like presenting golf matches. Maybe let's see, um, FTH fake talking heads with data that just doesn't exist. Yeah. So if we look at just the U S open kind of 20 to 40 feet, his short leaves were, uh, lower than optimal, which means he actually was seeing more past the hole than you would expect from 20 to 30 feet. So, um, you know, classic, classic watching on TV, you get one, one or two data points. Like, oh, he left two in a row short or whatever. Well, if you look over the whole tournament, it's actually, he left fewer short than normal. Yeah. And I think the, the fascinating part, again, Louie loses by one. And the fascinating part, it was blackjacks. Um, Rom had a little bit more and converted a little bit better and did just a little bit better with the ability to save par. Um, you know, his, you know, so, I think John Rahm averaged like one and a half bogeys and, and, uh, and Louie was like right around two. So it, it's a, a sliver of a piece, but, but Louie actually outperformed John on the putting green, but, oh, no question. but what, but, but what do we remember now after watching that John made some great putts coming in John's, John's bombs coming in. Exactly. Yeah, John's bombs coming in. We remember he outputted. No, nah, Louie actually outperformed him. John outperformed him actually on proximity and saving par, which is, not nearly as glamorous. It doesn't make as great memes and gifts and all on, on right. the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we take a look at Bryson in 2020, um, almost the exact same scoring average, uh, 11 and a half greens, um, 5.5 in positions, kind of the same as we saw this year. Um, although his fairways were, were lower than six, he was 5.75 fairways last year. That's low. Uh, this year, this year, most guys were at seven fairways. So the fairways were, were lower last year. The impositions were about the same. Um, but again, if you look at his, his conversion rates, 44% IP conversion, 24% EG. So really good um, mid-range and long putting. And his blackjack conversions were 33. That's, I mean, he made nothing, literally made nothing inside eight feet for birdie last year. So again, um, that, to me, that's quite interesting how the U.S. Open does that two years in a row. Yeah, I don't know why that is. We'll have to go back. Different course, different grass. But, you got to go back in time and see if there's past U.S. Opens, if that's a traditional. Yeah, and his P6 conversion was really low also. Um, his short par saves were, were poor, um, but his P6 and P12, just like we talked about, 90% P12, 58% P6, 
um, last year's U.S. Open. That's your is really really good greenside proximity with his wedges, um, and it's just kept his bogeys down to well, is it two point seven five? It was higher than higher than this year's, but yeah. but still relative to the field, the bogeys were particularly low. And the, I think the interesting part is the eagle was actually made back then, where the eagle really wasn't happening in Torrey Pines. You know, it was very rare to see that where. Um, like you said, that was kind of the big difference is the Eagles just didn't happen. Yeah. So if we compare him to the field, he had, he had double the, those putting his IP conversions were double the, the, um, field average His EGs were more than double and his P six was double also. So basically he, he was twice as close and made twice as many putts (laughs) as the field. (laughs) Do we have a uh, Bryson and Brooksy, uh, and we can compare the, the 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 rivalry or the feud right now and how they played at uh, Tory? Do we have them? That up is one? a good question. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, they're right next to each other too in the the pull down. I love that. <laughs> uh, I do not have Brooks's this year. I can load uh, it, but I don't have it. But that, yeah, we should we should definitely have a look at that. Jeez. Um, and let's see what he did. Oops, not there. Let's see what he did. I think I loaded Bryson's for this year's uh, open. No problem. Doesn't look like it. That'll be one to go back and look at. Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Very well. It's gonna it's gonna have disruptors and penalties on the bit on the high side. (laughs) And then the the final nine holes. That was just a that was a that was a show. Yeah. That was a show. Unexpected. That's for uh, sure. Very unexpected. After he almost made the hole in one, I was like, oh man, D Show and Bo's got this. And then all of a sudden, poof. The USGA yeah. strikes again. <laughs> yeah. So obviously their strategy is well, it, it, it effectively it takes away the offense, like you said. Um, it's supposed to reward more accurate ball striking, especially off the tee. But in reality, the winners are not more accurate off the tee or if they are, it's barely more accurate. You're not getting guys going, you're not getting guys who are hitting the fairway all day winning. That's not what's happening. So it's interesting because they're taking away the offense or taking away the, the proximity into the green um, for everybody. Right. And so it really becomes a chipping and putting game. Yeah. And I, I think it's fascinating. Like I said, I'd like to go, we'll have to go back and look in time and see if that blackjack holds up on multiple us opens. And I'm, I'm just thinking as a coach of a player, you know, how can I get my player better for, you know, the U.S. Open? If I can figure out how do we can make more short putts, I think would be a – that's a fascinating piece because there's a there's a huge chunk of strokes left out on that golf course on the last two U.S. Opens on short putts. Yeah, I don't know safe. why that is because it doesn't run, you know, dramatically faster than than other PGA Tour events. Yeah. Well, what was it? Torrey Pines and the year before that was – where was, was it wing foot? Or was it, yeah. Where did he win two years ago? I don't remember. I'm getting I feel old. Like it was wing foot. <laughs> getting old. But I, I just think it's hey, like I, I, I've got that fish memory I told you. Yeah. Wing foot. Yeah, it was wing foot. Wing foot. What a, do we have Tory Pines from this year? Any players and see huh. how Tory Pine. Louis Tyson was third last year. Yeah, Louis, Louis had a pretty good run at it. Yeah. Do we have uh, Tory Pines this year? Didn't they? Uh, the tournament? Uh, yes, we do, actually. Let's have a How little. How does that look to win on Torrey Pines? 
and see if so that, that would be the um, farmers. If anything, we might blackjack put- conversions were 90% for the winner, which is where it's supposed to be for the av- field average. It was 70%. Yeah. So maybe uh, we need not to too far the- off. Maybe we need to push this episode to uh, some sports psychologists. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I did a study, you know, talking about POA, you know, it, it does tend to be bumpy and it gets more bumpy in the afternoon. And I did a study a long time ago, like 10 years ago of um, putting mate percentages in the morning versus the afternoon on POA and across the board, the afternoon tee times converted at a lower rate, made fewer putts than the morning tee times. So every course that it was POA on, there was a built-in disadvantage slight disadvantage for the afternoon tea times just and it just is what it is yeah well i guess the question is how do we go from 90 to 60 that's not all poana no 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 no, that's definitely not grass that's and i mean you could say well super steep pins but it's not it's the same golf course they play and the pins probably weren't dramatically different than uh than farmers yeah so that, that's there's there's a study project there's some for you to do next time you're on your fishing trip <laughs> nah <laughs> go through reams of data on, on why people miss short birdie putts at the u.s Open. Uh, it was called beer and fishing line that's all i was thinking about beer and <laughs> right was, was that uh what's that uh song by uh yeah beers and sun you never broke your heart <laughs> that's right luke Co- no not luke combs um darius rucker's new one beer and sunshine that's that's all I had on my mind. The only BS I wanted to talk about was beer and sunshine. Good for you. <laughs> I was good. I even went to the beach. I didn't even take my phone. I mean, I, I, I literally tried to disconnect as much as possible as I could. So it was, it was a good, it's, a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when you can disconnect and get used to being disconnected. Yeah, no, I, I actually read, I started reading a, a book uh, by a, uh, um, sports psychologist instructor at the, I think it's South Dakota state. He's a member of game forge. And uh, so I went and started reading his book and I was thinking that we might actually bring him in as a future, um, guest if he wishes to, to, to join us. But, uh, that was my reading. So I did, of course, like always, I always read something on golf and I'm always doing something, yeah. on golf, but, but no, it was a good time, but I, I thought it was, I thought the U S open was exciting. I love the father's day. It's the only day I can say, Hey, I'm going to sit down and watch golf and, my family will leave me alone for you know, <laughs> for a couple hours. And uh, I thought it was a great, I thought John Rahm making big putts. Um, Louie yeah. had his chances. Totally. Little, looked like a couple little double crosses there at the end. Uh, it's just fascinating to watch the best players in the world and what the pressure and all that does. It's to me. Oh, interesting little, interesting little stat there. Um, you know, the average win on PJ tour versus the cut is at least 16 under the cut. Mm-hmm. And at the U S open, it was 10 under the cut. So the harder the tournament is, the you know the smaller that margin is. But ten to fourteen is usually the harder tournaments, um, and it was ten on it was ten under yeah. the cut at the U.S. Open. But normally it's sixteen, and that's the offense that's normally there that the um, that the USGA takes away. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. So, like I said, just as a player, as a coach of the players, just understanding, and they know this coming in that the that the you know the USGA is going to take away these components. So. I think it's just fascinating just how can you use data to, to kind of maybe close some of those gaps. You know, like I said, losing 30% on short putts is quite interesting. Now, that's, I guess, I guess we could go back and do a pin analysis later and see if we can come up with something. Um, yeah, we can have a look and see how different they were. But yeah, 
But I mean, yeah. I didn't see any pins that were like on four percenters. No, I, I mean, I didn't no, see I any, didn't they didn't have any runaway pins. No, I, it's interesting. I don't think those greens really, there's some, there's some good moundage there, but I don't, yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to see if there's an actual, I know we have the pins from the farmers. If we have the pins of the open. That'd be kind of fascinating yeah. to say how it played different. Um, but yeah, I think it's exciting. And congratulations, John Rahm, you know, phenomenal. Yeah, awesome. And he, he, deser- he deserves Great a good watch after that COVID thing. Great fun to watch because on the back nine, all, just it just went haywire. Like whatever you thought was going to happen didn't happen. <laughs> oh, yes. If, if, you know, because I watched it pretty much all day and it was fascinating. It was like, here comes Morikawa. Here comes JT. Like all these guys are making runs. Here comes Rory. Yeah. It's like run, run. Roughly, run. Like, to me, yeah. it felt like the NBA. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge NBA fan, but they always say everybody makes a run, right? In the NBA, you're up 20. And it gets cut to three, but then you end up winning by 15. So it's, you know, but everyone makes that run. So it was fascinating to watch all these people making these runs. And then, like I said, as it, as it came down to the like, last three or four holes, you know, the leaderboard was two people. It just came yeah. down to two. Nuts. And, uh, it was fascinating. Cool. PGA too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rom was the odds on favorite beginning. That doesn't happen very often. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good it was a good event. I enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Well, so, uh, any closing thoughts? Anything you got coming up? Any cool trips or anything exciting in the golf world? Um, trips are still a little a little on hold. I've been doing I've been traveling some and doing some clinics and stuff. Um, don't have my normal summer schedule like normally. I'd be gone all summer, and it's definitely uh because of europe i'm usually in europe a lot more but that's still kind of off at the moment so just kind of waiting to hear when that's going to open up china's still borders closed so i really can't go to china either so you know a bunch of those have shut down but uh doing loads of loads of uh training in orlando believe it or not even with the weather um had more tour players and tour caddies uh call and want to learn any point in the last three months than probably ever in any short period of time well, I imagine now that the uh, books are going to start to be eliminated, I bet you get a couple more phone calls. Yes, the books are going bye-bye, which I, I have no problem with, frankly. I, I I still can't believe they ever allowed the books because to me, I did – most people know this, but in 2005, I did a, uh, I did a green book as a, as a um, test at the Zurich Classic, and we scanned all the greens for TV because we were doing Aimpoint there in 2005. And I, and I created a book. I put it in every player's locker for free just to get feedback, and – Every single player said, it's too complicated. I can't putt. It takes me out of my flow. I don't understand. They all just poo-pooed it like mad. And so I'm like, I'm not doing this again. And I, and I dropped it. And like, you know, five years later, six years later, they're kind of everywhere. They're kind of out of control. The tour allowed them. Because I asked the tour, I said, can I make these? And they're like, yeah, fine. And I was like, wow, I can't believe. And literally my thought was, they don't really understand what these are, or they never would have said yes the first time. Yeah. But then once that once they're out there, they're out there. Then you have a hard time. Like anything, once it's out there, it's really hard to pull back. You know, information, data, tools, whatever. It's just hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Um, so what my my interest is: what is the NCAA going to do? What is the USGA going to do? If the tour doesn't allow them, are the other um, the other organizations going to follow suit or not? No, I well, this could be even podcast in the future. I always thought it was interesting too that. There's a lot of scanning companies to go out there and golf courses, you know, to me, the, the lifeblood of your golf course, the difficulty of your golf course is understanding greens. There's the complexity that most golf courses, you can change scoring values by the way you set up your, your green. 
and by yeah. giving away books and it's kind of giving, you know, the, the ultimate secret of, of what it takes to be able to perform at a golf course. So I always thought it was fascinating that, and I think, again, like you said, I don't think people understood what they were doing, you know, and then, I, you know, even if I started thinking about this and if I wanted to put a green together, if I have a green book and I have a scan of a green, there's no way that I couldn't say, Hey, make a green, make my green look like number four at X golf course, you know, here's the scan. Like, so yeah, I, just, to me, yeah. just to me, just to me, the, the giving away that information, I think was, I don't, again, I don't think people understood what, what it was all involved in that and what that was. And I think people are starting to understand it. I'm, it'll be curious that how this works out in the future of, you know, certain companies <laughs> or golf courses sue to get their stuff back. You know? Yeah. And, and that's one thing I think very few golf courses realize is technically they own the copyright on their green designs. They that's, that's intellectual property that they own and they let people come in and scan it with no license agreement, with no, you know, license fees that they use it for something else. And I was just like, what are y'all doing now? The high end courses understand it. Like the more sophisticated courses, they get it. And they, they lock you in with NDAs and say, Hey, if you scan our green, these don't ever go anywhere. And that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Right. But 99% of golf course are like, yeah, go in make books and knock yourself out. And yeah, I was you're like, you're going to give wow, me a hundred free books. I love it. Yeah. Y'all paid great. millions of dollars for somebody to design these greens. Right. And you're just going to give them away for free to people. Like, do you really understand what you're doing here? Like it, it, yeah, it was the okay. wild west to me again, that, that, that frame, that section of time was the wild west and yeah. green design and understanding greens. And, but yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of bad decisions were made. Yeah. And like I said, you can't put that back in the bottle at that point. And uh, I played concession uh, this week and the greens are awesome because they're, they're severe with very flat areas also. And you've got, you definitely have to, you know, uh, um, understand grain there. So there were some definitely in the flat areas, you get some grainy effects, um, but they're great. And if you go up out there cold, like it's a real challenge to get really good reads, you know, yeah, well. and, I watched, and I, and I watched if I own that golf course, I wouldn't want anybody seeing my green designs. They're really cool greens. Yeah, the NCA last year was a concessions, and concessions put a whooping on them. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You missed there. You've your wedge better be working. Yeah. <laughs> Which and we all know inside of college golf, proximity of wedge around the green is not the best. It's not the best, exactly. <laughs> all right, so yeah. let's uh, wrap this one up. We got Wait. a little sidetrack. Maybe that'll be a podcast in the future about the the insanity of green scans and what what the the dirty secrets behind the scanning business what they don't tell you <laughs> what they don't tell you about scanning. Uh, hey i've been working with scans since 2003 so i've i've seen it from the beginning uh no i and there's certain companies that tell you that it has 14 different straight putts going into a certain cup <laughs> i don't think so but that's cool oh probably that's probably not true <laughs> that's probably not accurate uh so uh, this is Brian Bailey here in Charlottesville thanking you again. Um, Fuel is up and running. Uh, that's our video platform at videos.mygameforage.com. Uh, uh, we have tons of great quick bites and what they don't tell you. Uh, a lot of stuff that we just talked about. So make sure you go visit that and become a member. Uh, it's $14.95 a month. Uh, we appreciate your uh, uh, push over there. And then all of our videos from these podcasts will be streamed live or on demand inside of um inside of fuel so you'll be actually be able to see our screen when we shared 
the dispersion graphs, the GFIs and things along that line. So make sure you become a either a subscriber or a fuel member. We appreciate that. And Mark, I'll let you segue out of here. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us. There's, there is a lot of <laughs> my segue earlier turned into a whole discussion about Green Book. So <laughs> I'm going to re-segue back, which is, um, yeah, fuel. There's there's a lot of lot of golf content on on fuel, and it's you know every week there's more and more. So um, definitely have a look. As a member, you get a bunch of free content also. So that's a uh, that's that's a lot of the stuff we talk about. We're dumping out there on a weekly basis. Um, but thanks for joining us. We will be back. I don't know when we'll be back. Hopefully, pretty soon. Uh, next next week or so, about a week or so, we'll be back with another episode. Very good. Thank you so much, everyone. This has been a Fuel Production.